Hi, welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews covering all eras of film at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to click the link to my other podcast. It covers brand new movies, either out in theaters or new to streaming at home. You can check that out. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Check out that link at my website, quipster.net. Today, we're going to be shifting into a new three-part series. We just covered films set in a dystopian future that looked into our vision of major cities around the world and what they might be like sometime in the future with Blade Runner, Akira, and Escape from New York. We're going to shift a little bit to a post-apocalyptic dystopian future with the next trilogy of films that are the Mad Max trilogy, as they once were known. Now, of course, there are four Mad Max movies with the release of Mad Max Fury Road just a few years ago, but we're going to go back to the original from 1979, so a little bit before the 1980s, with the original Mad Max. Mad Max is an R-rated film. It does have violence, brief language, and some sexuality. The runtime is about an hour and 28 minutes. Video releases sometimes run about five minutes longer than that. Mel Gibson is the main star with Joanne Samuel, Steve Bisley, Hugh Keysburn, Tim Burns, Roger Ward, and Vince Gill in the supporting cast. The director is George Miller, who also contributes to the screenplay along with James McCoslin. Now, an introduction really hardly seems necessary for this, the granddaddy of modern post-apocalyptic action films. Even if civilization is only on the verge of collapsing here, it's not yet the barely habitable wasteland shown in the Mad Max movies to come. This is the film that put its star, Mel Gibson, on the map as a leading man. Here, Gibson, he was a fairly inexperienced actor in terms of films, but he did have training at the Australian Institute for Dramatic Arts. He pursued acting for the theater stage mostly. He dabbled in some TV as well. At the time that he made Mad Max in 1979, he had only appeared in one film role in Summer City. That was a side job while he was still in school just a couple of years prior to the release of Mad Max. He was discovered by George Miller when he was dropping off a fellow actor for an audition. He came bruised and a little bit bloodied from playing, I guess, rugby at the time. And Miller was looking for somebody a little bit more rough and tumble, asked him to come back for an audition. And he did, a little bit more cleaned up, and he ended up getting the lead role instead of just one of the hooligans. And of course, that catapulted him to international fame. Mad Max is set in the near future, the words on the screen say, a few years from now. Gibson here playing the, of course, titular Max. He's one of the best police officers who works for the MFP, the main force patrol. The patrol fights against the increasingly hostile lands full of marauding car and biker gangs who really have no regard for life or for laws, and especially not for law officers. One such gang of bikers here is led by a psychopath named Toe Cutter, played by Keyes Byrne. He's on the rampage. He's targeting MFP officers who've messed with their way of doing things. And that puts all officers in potential harm's way, as well as their families. A family man himself, Max, does not know if he's really cut out to put his neck on the line in this losing battle against anarchy. He soon discovers there's not much escape, though, from the criminal element that's really permeated everywhere. So it's kill or be killed in the lawless and bloodthirsty territories. Mad Max here is directed by former emergency room doctor George Miller. He actually was working overtime in the emergency room in order to pay 
for the funding to make Mad Max. This was his debut effort. And because it was mostly funded through his own money, this was a pretty low-budget film, around $350,000, shot very guerrilla-style around the city of Melbourne. This is a very Roger Corman-esque action vehicle from this fledgling Australian film industry. The film industry in Australia had not really been getting the distribution and recognition that it had deserved, at least until Mad Max. This was a huge smash in its native country and actually would make inroads for Aussie cinema in many other parts of the world. Henceforth, after setting what would be at that time a world record for the money that it netted at the world box office above its budget, and that record was not broken until 20 years later with the release of The Blair Witch Project. In the United States, though, Mad Max still was not treated as kindly as the rest of the world. It was relegated to a very limited release schedule, and its North American distributor, American International Pictures ended up overdubbing the Australian accents within the film with the use of American voice actors, and that included the American-born Mel Gibson himself for some of the showings. And that was in an effort to make the dialogue and the slang understandable to the movie-going public unaccustomed to Australian accents in the United States, primarily because Australian movies really had not made those inroads previous to this. We, of course, understand these accents pretty well today because we've seen our share of Aussie cinema since. George Miller here directing this futuristic thriller with an eye towards spaghetti westerns. You have this gritty anti-hero, some sadistic outlaws, very wide shots in the compositions. You rarely see this kind of thing outside of the genre of westerns. The tracking shots here from first-time cinematographer David Egby, whether it's on the road or on the land, these are stunning to behold. It really gives a feeling of fluidity and very fast action. And at the same time, also showing that there's truly no place to run or nowhere to hide within the vastness of the outback. George Miller, who originally conceived of Mad Max as a kind of precautionary fable on the dangers of reckless driving because of that background as an emergency room doctor. He ended up using his skills as a doctor who regularly treated injuries, whether from firearms or car accidents, and he effectively recreated the realistic-looking damage done to human bodies within the film because of those reckless actions. Miller's education as a doctor really floated into the writing of the movie itself. The last name of Mad Max is Rokitansky, That name is based on a noted real-life Austrian physician named Karl von Rokitansky. Within Mad Max, a real brilliant use of locales, depicting the desolate Australian outback. And beyond all that, what really elevates Mad Max as a film, above being just a run-of-the-mill western in cars, is the jaw-dropping stunt work coordinated by Grant Page that rivals many big Hollywood efforts at the time. Real-life stuntman, rarely used, actually, A lot of the characters in the background were played by a real-life, crazy, fast-driving biker gang called the Vigilantes. They were portraying most of Toe Cutter's gang. Many of the cast, especially the extras, were not even paid in money. They were paid in beer for their participation and the use of their vehicles on the roads. really was kind of slapped together with as much band-aids as possible to avoid spending a lot of money. The story here in Mad Max, very simple. But it does arrest the attention during the conflicts because of the way that George Miller ends up subverting formula thriller elements. He prolongs the conflicts into the next scene and then the next and then even calls back to previous ones. Nothing really here is tidy from a narrative standpoint. And that gives the movie a certain edge and a unpredictability that does bode well in its favor. It's a bit rough around the edges to the point where I wouldn't deem it a 
great movie overall if you take it in and of itself, especially since, unlike Sergio Leone's Spaghetti Westerns, the score here is often incongruous with the nature of the movie, kind of drowns out the dialogue on occasion. I think if it were possible to re-release Mad Max with a newly composed score that fit in a little bit better, I think I'd pay top dollar to see how much of an effect that it has on the overall vibe, because I do think it makes it a little bit uneven, even if George Miller was definitely striving for a more Bernard Herrmann-esque score intentionally. If you're going to catch Mad Max, I would say avoid the cartoonishly dubbed American version. It's kind of passe today to even watch that version. The Aussie accents are really not close to being incomprehensible to most moviegoers in the United States today, and contrary to what the North American distributors may have thought at the time, they end up being a lot more intelligible than, I think, having to deal with the obviously dubbed version. It's very distracting, so I would definitely recommend watching it in its original format. All in all, even though it is a low-budget effort and a bit rough, and it doesn't always really compel as much narratively, it is still a propulsive action movie and definitely worth recommending. Enough for me to give it three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for those people who like this kind of movie. Certainly, if you're a huge fan of Australian cinema, as well as really good low-budget action movies that have great driving scenes and a lot of nasty car crashes, you're going to get your money's worth with Mad Max. But I do think the best is yet to come, because next week, we're going to be looking at another film in the Mad Max series. Some people consider it the best of the Mad Max series. Although a lot of people have really championed, especially of late, Mad Max Fury Road, which I will not be covering on this, but I do have a review of it on my other podcast you can check out. And you can find the link to that at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. From 1981, The Road Warrior for next week. So if you're keeping up with the movies, check that out. It is definitely one I would highly recommend. Whether you're a Mad Max film buff or not, you don't even have to watch the first movie to really understand it. It just kind of stands on its own, like most of the Mad Max films, to be honest with you. It's an interesting film series in that way. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts on Mad Max, you can find my contact information at my website at quipster.net. And until next time, thanks, everyone, for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. 